Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3, it's Danko with you on Your Money and now it's time for our Daily Dose of Money and Me. Now, if you've been following the news, one of the biggest headlines that might have caught your attention this week is the price cap on Russian seaborne oil that came into force earlier on Monday. And this was decided between the European Union alongside the G7 and Australia who have agreed to limit the purchases of Russian oil to $60 a barrel. And this forms part of their effort to restrict Moscow's ability to fund its war in Ukraine. Now, how effective will this be in reducing Russia's oil revenues? And what exactly does this mean for the future of oil prices? Meanwhile, the White House and Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company have also recently announced plans to build a second chip plant in Arizona. Now, that will boost the company's investment in the state from $12 billion to $40 billion. But what kind of impact might this have on rising US-China tensions over access to semiconductors? And will this move have any effect on Taiwan and its world number one status on semiconductors. Well, to help us out with these questions and more, I'm happy to invite on the show Swapnil Mishra, the founder of Wealth Zen and adjunct mentor at SMU. Good morning, Swapnil. How are you doing this morning? I am very well, thank you. Morning. I'm glad to have you back on with us again. Let's start off with the Russian oil price cap that came into force on Monday. And in essence, the measure stipulates that oil produced in Russia can only be sold with the necessary insurance approval at or below $60 a barrel. And Swapnil, I want to get your thoughts on this price cap. What is the significance of it and do you think it would work? I think, you know, this is one more step in the direction of trying to fix or trying to address the entire challenge that uh, U.S. or, you know, EU is facing of in some way controlling mm. the, uh, the, you know, the earnings uh, from oil for Russia mm. and at the same time not creating some kind of a you know, panic or a reaction where the oil price goes crazy. So we saw that, you know, when the when, uh, dispute started, uh, we saw oil price, you know, in a way much higher, it jumped high. Stabilized and, and it has been a struggle. So this is just one more attempt and you know, I've been evaluating this since May. So after a lot of, I would say, evaluation, they've decided to now use this uh, price cap as a way to prevent the prices from increasing and you know, contributing to inflation. Mm. And at the same time, keeping some control because now the cap can be used as a lever to control the amount of money that Russia makes by selling oil. Right. So then how do you expect Russia to retaliate? So there is a speculation right now. If you see from the uh, after the announcement, uh, price of oil has remained stable. We haven't seen. In fact, it's, it's gone down. So I would say two things as, as possible factors that will appear. One is actual expectation of oil price purely on the basis of demand expectation. Mm. And that is where it gets linked with the risk of recession or a slowdown. And oil price start coming down irrespective of the cap, which actually makes the cap kind of, you know, not so useful because the price itself is down on recessionary concerns, which has nothing to do with Russia. Mm. The second challenge which is going to be there is that, it, you know, there are countries which are still importing uh, oil. So, you know, countries like China, India, Turkey, they aren't impacted. And... At the same time, if Russia decides to cut production, then you can have a situation where the price goes up purely because of a supply shock because Russia decides to cut production. I would say these are the two or three factors which will play out uh, in the way oil price moves. 
right. and and you know in, in terms of uh, incorporating any reaction that you know Russia might have in terms of cutting production i think that's a risk today Right. And now, Swapnil, that's, uh, it's like what you've mentioned as well. The one big question that's left everyone troubled is the role of India and China in the implementation of this price cap. In fact, both nations have stepped up their purchases of Russian oil in the wake of the invasion of Ukraine. And they are also reluctant to agree on uh, to the cap. I mean, India's petroleum minister has also said that he does not fear the cap and he expects the policy to have limited impact. So to what extent do you, th- do you see this influencing the effectiveness of this price cap and what are the odds of both nations perhaps compromising or cooperating with the policymakers so the cooperation will come not just through the price cap but the fact that the you know they have also gone the second part of this entire you know ruling is that they want to restrict they want to prevent eu or uk based companies from providing necessary financial infrastructure you know property insurance indemnity insurance so a large part of the oil tank are handled in terms of their insurance are handled out of european companies so that will cause a challenge for you know countries like india which are importing because mm. for importing through the oil tankers you have a dependency on the financial system and that's the other i would say lever which is there which is more than the price and 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 it will be interesting to see whether the over a period of time the financial system is able to you know move to different locations they are able to change the oil tankers flags and and kind of work around these constraints mm. which these regulations are creating Right. Yes, and that's certainly, um, I mean, it's still early into this story, so we will have to wait for a while before the, the effectiveness of this price cap develops. Now let's move on over to the next story and shift our attention to the US. And just yesterday, it was announced that the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company will be building a second chip plant in Arizona. And that will see a boost in the company's investment in the state from $12 billion to $40 billion while heavily reducing U.S. reliance on semiconductor imports. Can you talk to us about the significance of this investment and which companies or sectors do you um, stand to benefit from this the most? I think this is one of the steps. So clearly from a production point of view, I think this is, this is good because, see, U.S. definitely wants the supply chain control over the supply chain. So any addition of capacity outside of China is, is clearly in line with what uh, U.S. wants to do. Mm. Having said that, China also has a strong influence in terms of it consumes nearly 60% of the production from Taiwan itself. Yep. So how much of that will cause a dent in, you know, in, in China's access to this has to be seen. The overall supply increase is definitely a positive and in line with what America wants to do in mm. the you know, in, in, in tech war kind of thing that they are doing with China right now. Right. And do you see this having any kind of effect on the already rising U.S.-China tensions over access to semiconductors? Will tensions be likely to escalate? It will definitely continue to escalate. Two reasons are also going to happen, right? you know, trigger that. One is, while the supply will, sh- I mean, supply lines are shifting, you know, there'll be U.S. which will be supplying, uh, the production which is still happening in Taiwan is going to be, you know, under pressure from what China can do. Mm. So, it, it can lead to escalation just because of uh, more actions being taken both by the, let's say, the Biden government and, and China. Second reason it will happen, it can happen, escalation. We're now going into the, you know, what kind of advanced technology is being used. So while production is shifting, 
the research centers and the advanced technology in terms of the research happening for the semiconductors is still in Taiwan and which which will which will mean that from the US perspective they would want to uh, keep the pressure for uh, you know access and on the other hand it is the, the only thing that Taiwan has to ensure that it kind of you know manages the balance between US support and and pressure from China mm Right. And yes, it's definitely worth mentioning that TSMC also produces about 90% of the world's most advanced chips and supplies to a host of major companies, including Apple, Qualcomm and NVIDIA. So then, Swapnew, what then does this mean for Taiwan and its world number one status on semiconductors? And what happens if TSMC moves most of its production out from Taiwan? I think it's, it's, a, step in, it's, it's a step in a direction which will, in the long run, help create some balance. Mm. So while in the short run, we may not see a de-escalation, but I think in the long run, any kind of diversification of this nature, I mean, like today, look at it this way, the iPhone production, there is such a heavy reliance mm. just China for, for. Now, these kind of steps of you know, production shifting out allows some balance and, and also creates uh, an opportunity for stability because uh, the you know Taiwan is able to balance the the two nations in terms of the demand for semiconductors. So I I think in the long run it is a it's a positive um, in the short term it's not a quick fix. So I don't think it will immediately de-escalate things. Certainly, and I I agree with you on that. And you know it talks about diversification and ensuring that you you don't heavily rely on one particular country. So now, Swapnil, let's move on over to the Southeast Asia region where we are seeing the Bank of Indonesia Governor announcing development in its plans to launch a central bank digital currency or CBDC for various digital economic and financial transactions. Now, on our previous chat, we talked about the Reserve Bank of India launching its own digital rupee for specific use cases and it looks like Indonesia is also following its footsteps. So can you talk to us more about this so-called Project Garuda and what's the rationale behind this latest move? I think it's in line, firstly, it's in line with what many countries are uh, uh, working towards digital currency. So as you said, you know, it's, uh, even India made a move and uh, uh, there's Project Garuda, which is uh, clearly you know, uh, taking a step in that direction. Mm. I, I think the the other, uh, uh, probably the um, a global uh, macroeconomic event which is triggering this is the is the, uh, the negative headline uh, with cryptocurrency. Mm. So, in some ways, I feel that uh, the central banks are capitalizing on the lack of trust uh, on crypto, the recent spate of news that we have seen, and trying to fill the gap that there is a need for a digital currency, and it need not just be crypto; it can or Bitcoin or any of you know the, uh, these uh, currencies, but rather the central bank comes in and says that you know we will the necessary digital currencies. So I think they are capitalizing on this need of uh, a digital currency, which mm. they feel because there isn't you know the the reliability in, in crypto has gone down significantly in the last, uh, you know, three to six months. Yeah, and that's for sure. And, you know, talking about that as well, you know, with CBDCs joining the race to dominate the future of finance, what does this say about the relevance of the stablecoin ecosystem? The central banks are also experimenting with how digital currency, is the digital rupiah, whether it is the digital rupiah in India, 
how these currencies are going to get actually applied. We've seen that even in case of, you know, Singapore. So everywhere there is some element of experimentation being done. And based on the use cases, whether it is using it for government payments, whether it is being used for distribution of, you know, pensions, it's actually making a plan of how digital currency will look like, whether it's India or Indonesia, mm. over the next five years. Because right now there is... Um, experiment with the use cases. We're still at an early stage of how a CBDC will actually be available for retail use for change for place to place basic This is how it's closer to that. All right. Thank you so much for that, Swapnil. And Yes, it's still on in its early stages, so we, it remains to be seen how it will perform. So that is something that we will be tracking very closely as well. So, Swapnil, as always, thank you so much for your time this morning, and I just want to wish you a wonderful festive season ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, we've been speaking to Swapnil Mishra, the founder of Wealth Zen and adjunct mentor at Singapore Management University. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.